Jessica. This is episode 142 of the Double Nut Podcast. Woo! Uh, it is July 3rd, so yes. if fireworks go off in the background, <laughs> I haven't heard any yet, but some of my neighbors love to set them off for like the week leading up and the week after. Um, that's what's I've happening. I've somehow been spared this year. I don't know why. Yeah, but the weather's we're... been kind of crummy Probably, this yeah, week. I think, so yeah, I think rainy that... last night I'm sure kept mm-hmm. people in. Thank goodness, because I drink too much, and I needed my sleep. (laughs) My daughter and your, both of your children are all in Northern California, not together. Just by coincidence. Um, So I'm living kid-free for the next couple weeks. And my my younger son just graduated from high school, and he is in San Francisco visiting my older son, who lives and works in San Francisco now. Um, So they're having a, a brother weekend, which they've never done before, which is interesting. We're getting kind of like furtive text messages from one about the other, like. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not like killing each other, so that's they don't really see each other as well. No, so no. that usually strengthens the ability to to like, tolerate. Yes, yes, it does <laughs> for sure. Um, all right, well, um, let's get into it. I'm sure uh, we've got a ton of stuff. Yeah, I wanted to say one thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's been like a week and a half since the new Ravelry policy. Yes. Um, I support the policy. Yes, as do I. It is just a clarification on a prior policy they had. Um, and if you don't know what that policy is, you can go to Ravelry. You can read what they've said. Um, I think a lot of people who aren't addicted to Instagram or (laughs) on Ravelry a lot, I have both those things, may not know like why it happened. Mm -hmm. And it's because a woman of color flagged a pattern for basically hate speech, which is within the community guidelines, you mm-hmm. can do that. And as Ravelry had a pro- before their announcement, a copy of the flag was sent, and who reported it was sent to the designer of the mm-hmm. pattern. That designer then mined the internet for the woman's name and address and stuff, and she was bullied and harassed. Um, by a large group of people, mostly women. And then her Instagram was shut down because they took it to Instagram. And um, I think they got her personal email as well. So, yeah. Did you want to add anything to that? Well, no. I was going to say that her Instagram has been restored. Although, I don't know if she's actually ever going to come back to it. But, I mean, that would be hugely traumatic for anyone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's been kind of a heck of a week and a half that it's made, Mm -hmm. like, national news. um, And that I, I just, like, can't say emphatically enough that for everyone who wishes that there wasn't any discussion of, like, politics and that why can't we just knit, which is what I, I can't, like, fortunately, I, I, I guess I'd say fortunately, I have not, like, myself witnessed any, like, really gross, harassing behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, fortunately for me, but yeah. <laughs> I know it's out well, there. Yes. I mean, I'm, I have no doubt it's out there, but I, I have not witnessed it, but I've witnessed so many people who are doing this little harumph of, like, why do we have to talk about this? Why can't it's just, why can't we just have knitting? And like, I, every time I see it, you just want to like jump up and down and be like, bam, there's white privilege right yeah. there. Because if you feel like I have the option to not discuss hate speech or harassment, yeah. um, or, you know, racially motivated hatred online, um, the only reason you have the right to choose not to think about it is because it's not happening to you or yeah. your community. And but it is happening to your community. Yes. If I you mean, consider all knitters your community. Right. But yeah, I have been following all this stuff closely. Yeah. Feel free to not listen to us if you disagree. But now we'll talk about knitting. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure we and have some stuff. skippers. Skippers, yeah. come back. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I don't have that much knitting to talk about. Like last time we met, I was working on, I had knit a tube with some planned pooling of yarn I had dyed 
And I did turn them into arm warmers as I thought I would. So I just mm-hmm. like cut one leg of one stitch and, and took them apart in the middle and added ribbing on both ends um, in a little baby cashmerino in black that I had. So they're like super 80s arm warmers. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> like hot pink and black. It's yeah. very 80s. Um, and then I am knit. So I've been doing this year long knit along where we're doing like each month if there's letters of the alphabet. So I'm currently knitting, like it's in my hand right now, vamping. And I forget who the designer is, but it's a pretty, um, common shape. I think I just saw it because someone had knit it. Uh, oh, it's the knitting vortex, but it's that, you know, asymmetrical triangle with a little bit of eyelet and a center stitch. Is that um, Jennifer Dassel? Yes, yeah. it is. I made her a lorem ipsum cardigan. I wear oh, okay. it all the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was just saying to Erin, like, I don't know why. It's a super easy pattern, and I cannot keep it in my head. Like, I have my iPad here because I have to. <laughs> there's only patterning on, like, two ra- rows, and I forget each time what it is, like, or when it is, or I, I don't know. Brain not fully engaged. But I am knitting it in Sincere Sheep Cormo Fingering in one of her gradient skeins. Um, I was just saying before we started recording, I think I mentioned the last time I knit something in Sincere Sheep that like every year I come home from Madrona or whatever fiber event I've been to if Brooke is there and I've bought something from her. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, I think it was last year, I realized like as I was putting it away, like I've never actually knit any of it. So I've been trying to like make a point of knitting it. So this pattern I feel like works really well with, um with a gradient skein of fingering. Um, and the one I have is, it goes from like a, a bluey green to a very soft sagey green. Um, so it's super duper in my, my wheelhouse. It's her Cormo, which I love. It's pretty, it's so bouncy looking. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing that. That was last month that, no, not last month's pattern. That was the pattern for May. Still netting it. Barely started it. Then the pattern I was doing for last month, June, is uh, Samfire Socks uh, by Helen Stewart, which is part of her sock society um, that uh, that Shell Cottage was also a part Mm -hmm. of. Um, And so I don't know why I'm like plagued with sock problems all of a sudden. It's like my, since I haven't knit them them in forever, I finished the first sock and I looked at the skinny yarn and I thought, huh seems kind of like not a lot of yarn. So Uh-oh. I weighed the first sock. This is socks that rock. So it should be like about 113 gram skein. Mm-hmm. I think mine is a little bit light, but it was a millen skein. So, you know, I wasn't, ex- that's to be expected. Um, I weighed the first sock, 64 grams. Hmm. So. And how yeah. much did we have left? Like. Not enough? Not enough. Like 45. <laughs> 45 or something, um, super duper not enough. So I'm kind of like, I just started knitting the ribbing for the cuff. Like I'll figure this out. Like I don't, I, many years ago, I think like I just guessed on the podcast, but it was probably like a decade ago. I was knitting, I think it was Pomodamus, um, that I ran out of, actually it was in Socks at Rock too. I ran out of yarn. pattern. It's the throwback. Cookie holla. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um don't know where that came from sorry um but with that one I ran out of yarn and I went back and had like and did some serious sock surgery where I cut the top of the sock Mm -hmm. off finished the other sock or you know like made the second sock shorter and then re-knit the cuff on the first sock Mm -hmm. um so I suppose I could do that with these but it's like that is a, it's, it's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of fussing that like, yeah. I don't know if I really have the brain power for. So there's part of me that's like, I will just find another skin of yarn that's vaguely the same color, which I do have one that like no one would ever confuse the two skeins. as like, oh, those are the same, but they're like distant Fraternal. cousins. <laughs> Could you, that, so doing the toes different colors wouldn't help that much. It's not going to give me enough yarn. Okay. It's like, I'd have to take off the cuff. And the toes. Okay. Maybe, I, mean, I wonder if that would give me enough. If I just cut the cuff off, because that's the thing I'm thinking right now. It's like, I don't have to just take off the cuff of the first sock. I have to take off the cuff and like the first like, like repeat or two mm-hmm. to get enough yarn. 
I wonder if I just pull out the toe and the cuff and do those in a different yarn because God knows I have Lord, loads and loads of socks of rock. I wonder if that would give me enough yarn. I'd have to weigh it all out. I mean, I'd have to rip it out and then weigh it, which is like, okay. Okay. Um, again, kind of like <laughs> I have no other suggestions a lot of for thinking with this and like planning. I don't, I, I, I might just be like, screw it. I'm just going for it and just have a sock that just stops two thirds of the way down the foot mm-hmm. and changes color. And no one okay. will ever know. I mean, it'd be, be like Malabrigo. Some of those oh. <laughs> Yeah. That's true. It's like, there's a knot and it's like three shades lighter. Yeah. And you're like, well, okay then. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure what I'm doing with that. And then I've also knit a bunch of hats, you know, my usual plain hats, Helix hats. The Helix hat pattern, I will say, my stash busting Helix hat pattern, which is free on Ravelry, um, is nearing a thousand projects. Wow. Which cool. I think is kind of exciting. And then someone tagged me on it on Instagram that she had knitted and she has quite a large following and then... So I got, ended up, like, a lot of people started following me because of it. But also then I found, like, she had, I don't know, I've been knitting this hat now for whatever, like, five years. She had used the hashtag stash busting helix hat, which for some reason I had never thought to use that. (laughs) I always just do, like, helix stripes, helix hat, helix stripes forever, you know. Um, I don't know why. And so then I was like, oh, and I, like, looked at the hashtag and there are all these projects that people have been knitting the hat. Who've been hashtagging nice surprise. with its name, duh, Jess. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I never thought of it. Um, anyway, but, you know, I guess this is also sort of a roundabout way of saying, if you've knit it and you haven't created a project for it on Ravelry, please do, because it'll be super exciting for me to get to a thousand projects. So, um, anyway, and I love, I love reading, like, when people knit it, if they enjoy it, they're like... Uh, you know, like there's yeah. just, there's a lot of people, like people who love it, love it. You know, they're like me and they're like, I can't, or they'll post a picture of like, I found this project and they've knit like six of them already, uh-huh. you know, like giant they pile can of hats. Use all their little all their scraps. Stuff, all their yeah. stuff. So, um, so that's really exciting for me, um, personally, but also exciting. I have sewed two shirts Mm-mm. that I wore in public. Don't believe it. I no, did. I saw one of them on Instagram. I yes. Think. I, I posted them both on Instagram, okay. I believe. Um, they're the same shirt, different versions of the same shirt. So the shirt is the Esme top by uh, Lotta Jen's daughter from her Everyday Style book. I like this top. It's very, um, I'd say it's kind of got a 60s vibe to it. Um, the first one I did was, um, has like a little cap sleeve, but it's like an all-in-one. There's not like a separate sleeve part. It just mm-hmm. kind of comes out as a little wing. Um, and I did it in, like, I did them both in quilting cotton because that's what I have at home. And I didn't want, I, I have so much quilting fabric that I'm never going to use. And it's not ideal for clothes, but I thought, you know, I'm just playing around right now. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of an A-line shift top. So, and it's got a little boat neck, which I like. Um but so it's vaguely like 60s maternity vibe. Mm-hmm. Also, the print I used was very like kind of retro y. It's like big, kind of acid greeny flowers on it. Uh, then I tried, I made a second one where um, that's the sleeve version. So I had to do the sleeve cap. The sleeve cap instructions in this book are, well, they're just non existent. She tells you to do two lines of basting stitches uh-huh. and then to ease in the sleeve cap, but she doesn't explain like why you did those basting stitches or how to ease in a sleeve. Which I is know like, how to do that. But. I mean, I had to, I mean, I Googled it yeah. and I was like, and then I could see people like, Oh, this is why she had you, you can pull like, up the basting a little bit to make like, it to kind of gather it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I, I just don't... thought it was really funny. Like she has you do this step, but doesn't tell you why you're doing yeah. it, and then doesn't tell you how to complete it. Is it aimed for beginning sewers? It or... is. It's like very huh. basic. Um, and I don't know. Maybe it's built into one of the other patterns in the book. I looked. Uh, I didn't see it. It's not really intuitive if you've never done it before. Yeah, and I've eased in so many sleeves with knitting, but with knitting, it's like okay, the fabric I'm, is stretchy, you know. And I know, like, okay, I know I need to eat up more stitches here, so I will just, you know, like put my needle in, yeah. you know, for their part. Can't really but do like, that with fabric. how do you do that with a sewing machine? Like, I have no idea. I don't know how Basting to do this. Basting stitches and lots of pins. Um. So anyway, but I got the sleeve in without like actually crying close, but no actual tears. But I definitely had a moment where I was sewing the first one. Like I always talk, like when people say like, 
oh, like, I'm not a good knitter. Or, or if they, they say, like, you must be a really good knitter, you must not make mistakes. And um, if you're a listener of this podcast, you know I make mistakes constantly <laughs> in knitting. But um, I think what happens when you get to be someone that someone would consider, like, a good knitter is that you understand, like, you recognize mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you understand how to fix them. Yeah. Um, and so I've never had that feeling at all with sewing. And then I was... Um, I think it takes longer with sewing. Well, and I just don't... I haven't sewn that much. But I was putting the collar on, the collar facing on. And I just, like, had a moment where I looked at it and I was like, oh, like I realized I had done something wrong. Like, mm-hmm. I had traced one of the pieces. I can't even remember now what it was. But it was like, oh, right, this is this needs to go like this because of that. And like suddenly it was like this light bulb went off. Like I looked at my, what I was about to do and was like, this is wrong. I understand what the right thing is. I'm going to go fix it. Good job. As opposed to like, you know, trying to put it together and be like, ah, why doesn't this work? And just sort of freaking out. So that was like a, that was a very positive moment for me where I was like, I see a mistake and I understand what the mistake is because Mm -hmm. usually with sewing, I, it just doesn't work and I don't understand why. Anyway, so I have a few things planned that I want to work like, but I think I just want to kind of iterate on this one top for right now because mm-hmm. it's, it's, you can learn a lot from doing the same pattern over and over. Yeah. And like I just perfecting the fit on it. And that's what I've been making. Okay. What you've been making. Lots of stuff. Yeah. I finished my beauty school top that mm-hmm. I was working on last time. I ended up doing elbow sleeves, like the longer short sleeve and I love it. Yeah. And that was in like a gray fingering way. Yeah. It's like, um, it's speckled from like the pictures I took. You can't tell at all. The color is called semi precious. It's by union fiber company. She's in New Zealand and it's like gray tonal with like really pretty blips of like darker gray, Navy, some like burnt orange. Um, and then like Robin's egg blue a little mm-hmm. bit. It's just really pretty, but you can't really tell from far away that it has all that, all that going on in it. Um, yeah, it's just plain stockinette. I think I knit it on a two and a three, maybe. I've been doing a lot of plain stockinette projects, including my Waters Redux. Um, Waters is a pattern by Andy Satterland. Mm. That was for the outfit along last year. I did one in um, Quince and Company Sparrow in like the gray marl and yellow and it has like a high neck and then a deeper scoop back mm-hmm. and it's just like one of those kind of like boxy tees and I wear that thing all the time when it's warm unlike right now um <laughs> <laughs> and you can just chuck it in the washing machine and it just gets softer and softer because yeah. it's a linen um so I decided I was going to use that same pattern I had swatched some yarn last year when I bought when I bought it and it's yarn on the house best friend which is a 75 cotton 25 wool blend i'm squinting my eyes because i think that's the right percentages <laughs> um and the color cracked pepper which is a gray but mm-hmm. then the wool part is black so it has these like blips of black in it mm-hmm. which i really like um so my gauge was different but i just did the math and then i turned it into like basically a reversible v-neck um but with the same sleeve and length and everything mm-hmm. And it's like a really good little t-shirt. I haven't worn it yet, but it feels like like a really nice worn-in sweatshirt. It's oh, so cool. soft. Nice. Yeah. So I knit that. Also, that's just plain stocking it on yeah. a three. <laughs> so um, and then plain stocking it socks and some really <laughs> old mountain colors. Barefoot. Mountain colors. Yeah. Woo. Right I just the way back machine. Yeah, I just blocked them. It's so fluffy when you wash yeah. them. Oh, that's so right. pretty. It's like that blue and purple. Blue. Cute. Yeah, they feel really good. Snuggly socks. I have an old pair that that I've been that are sitting on my hutch because um I need to darn like the bottoms are starting to wear mm-hmm. out. And I think I'm gonna send these to charity because um the charity I know a lot for is in North Dakota. Yeah, and these will be super, super good. Warm. Yeah. For uh, North Dakota winters. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hold on to those. Mm-hmm. Pretty though. Huh? Yeah. Uh, so those are fast too because. Um, barefoot's kind of big. It's kind of big. Yeah. So it felt like the mohair in it like floofs it up yeah. and it just speeds right along. And I knit Liab. 
I think that's how you say it. It's L-I-A-B. It's a hat pattern by Isolde from Knitworthy 3, I think, which is one of her little collections that she releases around the holidays. And it's a cable hat. Mm -hmm. And I knit it in local color farm and fiber mm -hmm. in the marigold color, which is a yellow. Yeah. And it's like so bouncy. <laughs> Because it's Rambouillet. Oh, I love that. So it has really good stitch definition. And, yeah, that was fun. It was fast. And I knit Leclerc by Caitlin Grace. And that's a pullover that's in an all-over lace pattern with a drop sleeve and, like, a boat neck. And that's, like, that's a DK weight yarn. I used Green Mountain Spinnery Cotton Comfort, which is, like, a cotton wool blend. I think it's 50-50. Um, that I had knit something else in and then never wore that thing. Right. So I ripped it out and then, and I've worn this sweater a couple of times. Uh, it's got just a little bit of positive ease. I'm not a huge fan of like 10 inches of positive ease, which yeah. is like the thing right now. Um, but like just a little, just a couple inches and, uh, it's good cause you can layer over a tank top mm -hmm. and it's all over lace. So it's like. Let's your skin breathe and stuff when it's warm out. Aww. And that was fat. And it, it's all, all the pieces are knit. The front and the back are basically rectangles mm. uh, knit flat. And you seam them. And then you do the sleeves in the round. And they're like huh. itty bitty little things. You know, yeah. a drop sleeve. Right. They're like, I don't know, five inches or something. Are this, I can't remember the sleeves on that one pattern as well. Are mm -hmm. they? Okay. Yeah. It's just lace. Lace everywhere. Yeah. And the Rag Rug Mitts by Vera Valamaki. She did, like, a 12 Days of Christmas thing a while ago where she had, like, little free accessory patterns every day. So it's just, like, a very basic fingertip-to-cuff uh, fingerless mitt pattern. And it has, like, four row stripes oh, okay. after the the, um, the part that goes around your fingers. Is that also a cuff? The top cuff? The finger cuff? <laughs> I just use a bunch of, like, these odds and ends. Yeah. Um, Aaron is pointing at a jar full of odds and ends. Yeah. I have glass <laughs> jars on my bookshelf with, like, odds and ends of sock yarns and stuff. Yeah. And it did not use as much as I wanted it to use. So, but they were really, really fast. That's a free pattern on Ravelry. Mm -hmm. And then I knit Kimber by Noriko Ho. And that is a hat pattern where you hold a sock yarn and a mohair together. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, ribbed. Um, and then it has a little bit of lace and cable. And I knit mine in Ritual Dyes that I bought at Stitches West. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the name of the color. Oh, Alabaster, which is like gray with blips of orange and darker gray. You're in and a turquoise. gray with blips of something and darker gray I like kind it. of phase right now. I bought both those yarns at Stitches West, oh, too. So I was definitely feeling that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's a fun hat pattern. And if, like, you're big-headed or you have big hair, I think it'd be a good one. Because I knit the medium. Like, I have a 23-inch head. I'm, like, She's... hands by my head. Yes. For my large brain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, average size stuff is usually a little snug. Um, this is a very slouchy style hat. It is very slouchy, and I, yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, but I knit the medium, and it's slouchy on me, and it's pretty, like, has some extra length in it, which I like, because then you could also, like, turn up the brim a little bit mm -hmm. and wear, like, a more snug style. But if you have, like, big curls or a giant head or whatever, you should be good with this pattern. Yeah. I think there are four sizes. I think extra small to large, if I remember correctly. And that was fun to knit, too. Um, I'm working on a stockinette sock. And I'm also working on the Tumanaco pullover by Aroha Knits. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. It's a Maori word, so oh, I have okay. no clue how to pronounce it. It's like a cropped um, top-down raglan with a tiny bit of positive ease. I'm using Quinton Company Lark that I frogged from a different project a while ago. I was just tired of knitting everything on like a size three, and this is, I'm using an eight. The pattern calls for like a DK knit on a seven, but I got the same gauge with worsted on an eight. 
Because this think, one look like? I was just going through her patterns the other night. It's like a like, light blue in her pattern page, and it's got like a little kind of mirror cable down the front. Okay. Cables down the sleeves and like a bigger block of cables on the back. Okay, yeah. I was just looking at hers. Yeah. So, uh, I split for the arms, and I shouldn't have that much more to go on the body, because I think the sleeve depth is, like, it's deeper. It's supposed to be, like, a little exaggerated. Um, I don't know. We'll see if I have enough yarn. Like, I weighed it, and I should have enough, but I don't know. And I got gauge. We'll see. (laughs) It might be a third iteration of (laughs) something next time. Yeah. (laughs) So those are the things, just the socks and the pullover, what I'm working on right now. But I finished lots of stuff. Awesome. So. All right. Well. Did um, you read anything? Uh, I've been listening to audiobooks still. Mm-hmm. So last time we recorded, I had just started Pachinko by uh, Min Jin Lee. Um, and it turned out to be quite a different book than what I was expecting. And I actually really didn't like it very much. Hmm. Um, it is a family history. It starts in Korea in the thirties. You're kind of excited about I it. I was, I was super excited. I really enjoyed the first bit of the book. Mm-hmm. There's just, there's a moment where something happens and it completely changes everything in the book. And it just totally took me out of the story. Cause it's this family story. You're getting this family history and then, um, they end up, then you end up getting one of the characters moves to to Japan. This is before World War II, um, and anyway, there I, it would be a total spoiler to say what it is, but something happens and it makes you see like absolutely everything that happens and happened in the book in a completely different way and in a way that I found completely um, unbelievable hmm. um, and annoying and then everything that stemmed from that I also found like incredulous and annoying and I just found myself getting more and more irritated with the book and with the characters I believe I am in the minority in my impression of this This book has been very well received and I I it's for whatever reason, it was just something that really personally just turned me off. And I can't mm. quite, I mean, without ruining the book for everybody, I can't tell you what it was. Um, but yeah, I ended up, I mean, I listened to it, but I was kind of annoyed with it by the end or more than kind of annoyed. I was, and it just, for me, like the, the bad choices and the things happening just it, it kind of piled on from there and it just got me really irritated. But then, so after that, I listened to an audiobook. That I had downloaded like a billion years ago where Amazon had had this series of classics they were offering as free audiobooks. And they had one for um, Willa Cather's My Antonia or My Antonia. Uh-huh. Um, I read that which book. It's good. I've never read. I've kind of, well, I've avoided Cather. I think like someone once in an offhand comment said something to, like near me about Willa Cather being anti-Semitic. And I had to read one of her books for school, like in college. I don't even remember which one it was. And there was something in it that made mm-hmm. me like oh, kind of uncomfortable. Um, and then this book as well, like I was really enjoying it. It's just like such a, I mean, I still enjoyed listening to it. It's like such gentle storytelling. It is the story, a recollection of a man, an, an adult of, um, girl he knew in childhood and through his life, um, who was, uh, an immigrant from Bohemia, um, or Czechoslovakia, um, as they settled in Nebraska. Um, and he is moving, he meets her on his journey where he is, has been orphaned. He was, he grew up in Virginia and, um, she's a few years older than he is, but it's just this like kind of very lovely description of childhood in, during this homesteading period, but, um, I have to, there's, there is a chapter on, um, uh, like a black mu- musician mm-hmm. that I oh, found, there's definitely racist stuff like, in it. that I found like really uncomfortable to read that really made me go, Did, when was that written? Do you know offhand? Um, I don't, I'm trying to remember, I don't remember the publication um, date. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like that is very common in American literature yeah. for yeah. many things. I mean, it's very common in most literature. literature. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and you know, and then whatever vague passing reference to like, like natives in that Mm -hmm. like who were you know it's it's this impression it's this point of view of like ah yes american west or you know like homesteading like this land is ours for the taking it's false narrative yeah um i do really enjoy her have a few moments where i was like her descriptions of uh, the landscape though are very yeah i mean just my manager not to be apologist or anything but i'm like there are, I think with a lot of, a lot of writers, there are good and bad things. Yeah, and yeah, it definitely made me like, kind of it. It, it definitely curtailed my enjoyment of it up to that point. Oh, I'm sure. Um, but my because my manager was on a road, he had to help his daughter move, like bring a car from the East Coast, so he was driving from Kentucky to Seattle in like three oh, days. No thanks. So I know, and he was like, oh, I need an audiobook for this. And then I, I started listening to this after he had gone on, left on this trip. So I was talking to him about it afterwards. And like, it would be the perfect book for driving across America. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just this window into, and there's just something about this window into this period of time, this, you know, like life when things were simpler. Um, especially because it's not just, I mean, it's not just that the book was written a long time ago, but the book was written a long time ago and it is looking back and mm-hmm. looking at things through the eyes of a child. Yeah. Um, and so things really were a lot <laughs> simpler and, um, you know, there's something a little, a little magical about it. So, I mean, there was parts of it I really liked and I found very I think I had sweet the same feelings and very it. moving. And then there were parts of it that I was very uncomfortable with. Gotta say, um, I've just started listening to uh, Rules of Civility, which is a novel by Amor Tolls, who wrote uh, The Gentleman in Moscow, which I adored. Um, and so far, I like it very much, um, but I've been very distracted. I realized, like, I, I couldn't put my finger on I'm like, why does this seem so weird to me as I'm listening to it? And then I realized it's that I've heard this, I guess this happens when you start listening to audiobooks. I've heard this reader before, and mm-hmm. she was the reader for the... Um, the Female Persuasion by Meg Wallitzer, which I listened to several months ago. And it was just like, it was just like, it was just gnawing at me. Like, mm. why does this seem so familiar? But that has nothing to do with the book. The <laughs> Sorry. The book is, um, starts at an art exhibit in the 1950s where a woman is there with her very wealthy husband and they see a photo, um, by Walker Evans of a, man down on his luck on the subway. It was a series of photos that were taken from the 1930s and she sees someone who she knows. So then you flash back and you learn about how, um, she met this man and presumably I haven't gotten there yet of how he ended up, you know, at the point where Evans photographed him. Um, but so far I like it very much. It's, I just, um, it's a really different, uh, mood and a very different narrator than Gentleman in Moscow. Gentleman in Moscow has a like wonderful third person narrator that is very like witty and playful. And this is, um, told from the point of view of, the, of a woman who is, um, like met this young man when she was on her own in New York, um, in the 1930s. Um, so anyway, but liking that, but I've been completely sidetracked because talk about late to the game. I started listening to my favorite murder. Okay. Which like, I know everyone else has already listened to it and yeah. they've got like, I mean, I think if you 200 episodes you, or something, yeah. but because I'm me, I'm start, I started with episode one. <laughs> yeah. So I'm on like 17 now and I'm like mm-hmm. only 170 to go and I'll be all caught up. <laughs> I don't listen to all of them. I don't like the, I don't like live episodes, so I don't oh, listen to those. Okay. Um, I haven't gotten to one of yeah. those yet, but. Um, also, if they're like an hour and 20 minutes, I'm like, skippers. Oh. I'm a skipper sometimes. I well, just want to get to so the story. I was listening to one today, though, where they're, you know, they, um, so again, I'm late to the game, so they started, I don't know what, like two and a half years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. um, and they're talking about, um, 
I'm going to forget her name. Michelle Patton Oswalt's McNamara. Yeah. Patton Oswalt's wife. So one of them does stand up and has known Patton Oswalt. So they're talking about her because she was writing a book about the Golden State Killer and Mm -hmm. was doing all this amazing research and was totally into murdery stuff and they were into it and... And I turned to my coworker and I was like, I'm listening to this and I'm like dreading when they get to the part where, where she, she dies does. because yeah. it was kind of this weird thing or like, here I am in the future and there they are in the past mm-hmm. and they don't know yet. Um, but which they, they, they find out, they found out. Yes. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where like when you're listening to it, you just want to start like yelling, like, ah, like, like that, you know, things too, or like, cause there were describing um uh a a case about like a serial killer who actually like appeared in the movie the exorcist yeah um the it's the uh, x-ray tech yeah the x-ray tech um what's his name um i don't know it's been a while since i was like paul bateman or something like Mm -hmm. that Bateson, something like that. But he was, so they started, and I never heard of this guy, but they started describing the crimes that he's, he was actually only convicted of one. They start describing the crimes where he had um, killed a whole bunch of gay men in New York um, that were all somehow tied to the leather scene in the 70s. And I'm like, this is the plot of the movie Cruising. Yeah. And I'm like, going crazy they're they're talking about they're talking about i'm like this is crazy it's crazy it's crazy without what you know oh my god and then they finally like at the very end like and they're like oh and william friedkin who had made the exorcist when he found out about this made a movie with al pacino i was like crazy like Mm -hmm. at that point i was like oh like i just want to like i remember my dad it might not be the like f for you if you feel that strongly (laughs) about yelling things at them well anyway but i'm enjoying it like a lot but um, but it's also funny cause they're, I guess they're really close to your age. So Georgia is my age and Karen's older. She's like, she's like Noah's age. I think she's like 10 years older. Anyway, but I've been, in, I've been obsessively listening to that and it's been getting in the way of me finishing the, my audiobook. Mm. That was a long way of saying that. Okay. You... I read some boring stuff. Let me oh, tell yeah. you about it. Well, I'm reading Marianne by... Tell us about it. Well, I just have, like, three things, because they're all boring and all long. So... Yay. I'm... uh, I just finished Marianne by Daphne du Maurier, which Mm -hmm. is about Marianne Clark, who was in the... What year was it? 18 blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure. (laughs) Early 1800s. Anyway, uh, she was the Duke York's mistress, and she... um, was living beyond her means because the Duke of York expected, like, certain things, you know, in the household. So she took bribes to to get um, military officers, like, promotions and stuff, and she would put pass the names on to the Duke of York. So there was this big scandal back then um, about her relationship with him and whether or not he was involved um, so it's basically about Marianne starting from when she's a kid. And it's one of De- Daphne du Maurier's like distant relatives, oh. which is why she started writing it. So it's like, you know, dramatic retelling <laughs> of, it's like historical fiction, but based on fact, basically. Oh, um, not heard of that. Yeah. It's pretty boring. Oh. So well, if you don't okay. like Daphne du Maurier that much, I would not recommend it. There's a lot of dry, like court stuff that happens. Oh. Um, yeah. Well, I guess two of my books are boring. And I also read Moods by Louisa May Alcott, which was her first novel. And it's about a love triangle. You talked about it a little bit last time, so. Did I? Yeah. It's boring. Yeah. It started off okay, and then I was like, oh, this is just your traditional love triangle. Uninterested. Everyone just pines away after each other, Mm. because it was, like, the late 1800s. And they're like, oh, boo-hoo, we can't get divorced. Blah. Like, just leave. Solve your own <laughs> problems. And it was, like, a lot of monologues. I did not like it. But I do like Louisa May Alcott in general. Yes. So, not so great. But the book I read that was great is The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls by Anissa Gray. And, uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. I don't want to spoil stuff, but it's about, like, a family in crisis because of some illegal activity, and it's all black American women. 
of different ages. Contemporary. And, like, yes. Okay. Like, um, having to do with, like, family trauma and family relationships. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Cool. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Recommend. So that counteracts the other two that I was like, not worth your time. <laughs> so. All right. Wow, that was quick. Yeah. Um, they were long. Well, uh, Karen feeding ravenously hungry girls is not long, but the other two were long and also felt long. So, yes. There you go. All right. So right after we recorded last time, I went home and I watched Wild Wild Country, which I know you had seen. Yeah. Tough like, titties. Text you and be like, oh, this is so crazy. Yeah. So Aaron's talked about it before in the podcast, but just as a refresher, it's about the Rajneeshi cult or whatever Whatever you want to call it, um, who established a town in... Took over a town. Took over a town, yes. In uh, North Central Oregon. It's actually really close to Imperial Stock Ranch. Okay. Like, they were talking about, like, oh, this town and what was near, and I was like, wait a minute. It's, it's like, like an hour, less than an hour from um, Imperial Stock. So I've been... I've been Been in in the area. Been in the area. um, Where they, like, took over a town... Um, and you know, it's just, it's, it's a really interesting documentary. They, and like, as part of, they're trying to take over the government, they, uh, are trying to swing a, a city council vote. So they decide to, um, uh, infect people in the County with salmonella, like over Ooh. 700 people got ill from them. Just crazy stuff. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Fascinating. But what, I, well, then I was thinking about it while I was watching it. I was like, I know why Aaron loved this. Because this is the case of the unreliable narrator. Yes. Every single person they interview for this movie has like an agenda. Yeah. Like, I didn't believe no. anybody. Nope. They were all full of shit. Yes. Every single last one of them. That's excellent. And so <laughs> something will happen and you're like, well, that's nuts. That other person is crazy. And then you'll, you know, you'll hear from that person and you're like, Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. They're all crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, because at first you, like, they come in, they, like, completely take over this town, but you realize that really what the town is rebelling against is, like, these are people who don't, you know, someone finally spit it out. Like, these are not, like, good Christian people. Yeah. They, um, they oh, believe in, yeah. Yeah. They're not all white. They believe in, in free love, which I loved in her interview of, like, do you mean we don't charge for it? <laughs> um, you know, so they're, like, there's nudists and they're like very free with their sexuality. Um, so, you know, really like what people were objecting to was like, these people aren't us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I was like, you people are assholes. Yeah. <laughs> I was really mad about it. But then what the Rajneeshis do is so like horrible and ridiculous. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, I'm beginning to side with the assholes. Like, they may be racist, but they have some good points. Um, you know, and it's like, I hated all of them. Like, I just yeah. wanted them all to just, like, because they're all, they're all terrible. But the craziest part for me is the people who still, like, I mean, the um, the guru, whatever his name, like, what the different names they used for him. Like, yeah. Like, he has, like, like Rajneesh or yeah. Osho or whatever. Osho. I think it um, is what he goes by now. Well, well, Except he, he died back. ages ago. Yeah, but, but there's, there's still people who follow his his whatever the heck it is. It's it's a li- it's it's crazy. It's it's a crazy ass. So story. enjoyable. It's a crazy story, and it was so like so frustrating because you just like you want to like pin it down, and you realize like everything everyone is saying is probably like only a little bit true. And yeah. some of it is completely not true. And every single person, even they even interview a journalist who had written about it. And even he seems super biased. Yeah. Like I was really put, actually the most like level headed guy was like the overalls guy who had served a term or who was currently serving the term as mayor, I think, mm-hmm. who had served on the city council with the Rajneeshis. So he was like the only person who actually got to know anybody and also just didn't seem, like, hell-bent on, like, holding a position. Like, he just thought the whole thing was crazy and kind of yeah. funny in hindsight. Like, so I felt like he was maybe a little more reliable because he didn't seem to really have, like, just shaking my head. a Nobody. particular point Don't try and pin it down. Nobody's reliable. But they're all. all, like, they all have, like, 
an agenda, yeah. and I could I didn't believe anybody. It made me crazy. I but, loved it. I mean, in a good way. <laughs> um, another. So I'm still watching Killing Eve season two. Freaking love that show. So good. Um, something that we were really excited about was um, the new Ali Wong Randall Park show or film that's on Netflix called Always Be My Maybe. Mm. Like the day it was released, family got together. We all sat down. Like you know, Randall Park has. Pretty consi- like and Daniel um, Daniel Day Kim's in it, and we we're all excited for it. And when it ended, we looked at each other and we were like, "What? What happened? That 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 just wasn't good." Um, oh, I heard so, good things about it. And then everyone is like, "Oh my gosh, it was so cute!" And I'm just like, what, what, "Did we see the same thing?" Because I so I finally like came up to Wes and I was like, "I think I figured out what happened." It was like, so Ali Wong is a writer on um, Fresh Off the Boat, where Randall Park plays um, the dad. That's a great show. Um, and um, so my my theory is like, one day Randall and Ali are like sitting around and they're like, "We should write a script together." Yeah, we totally should. And they sit down for a couple of hours. They bang on a script. They somehow meet someone from Netflix and they're like, we have a script that we've written. And they're like, Oh cool. Let's see it. And then they show it to them and they're like, yeah, so this is the story. It's kind of a romantic comedy. And the guy's like, cool, we're going to green like this. You start filming on Monday. And they're like, um, but this is just our first draft. They're like, cool. See you Monday. <laughs> and then they, and then she's like on the phone to Keanu Reeves and Daniel day Kim, like, can you be free on Monday in Vancouver? Um, that's my only theory of how this got made because it felt so first drafty. Like her comedy is so good and like sharp and vicious and blue. And this was just like, not that. And Mm. also just not, not interesting. Like nothing, like it was just like total, like if you've ever seen a romantic comedy, you know exactly what's going to happen. Um, the only difference is that the two leads were Asian, which, you know, we were totally there for, mm-hmm. but it wasn't enough for any of us. We were like, all the three of us were looking at each other like, blink, blink, like what, that, that just, so I was, I was a little bit, but I, again, it's one of those things where it seems like I'm maybe in the minority. Cause like all my, like everyone's on Facebook, like it's so cute. And I'm like, is it okay? Um, was not, not wild about it. Um, uh, oh. Something else I watched uh, was the Manhunt Unabomber series, which is like um, a telling sort of of the guy who helped catch the Unabomber oh, yeah. through, um, what did he call it, like forensic linguistics, which mm-hmm. wasn't really a thing that they kind of made up. Um, I mean, they, they create, like they, you know, found the Unabomber by looking at the language that he used yeah. in his manifesto and things. Um, I mean, I meant that they made up the whole idea of that kind of criminology. It's an emerging field in criminology. Yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, so it's kind of interesting, but it ends up being more about the guy and the guy's played by Sam Worthington, who I don't think can act worth beans and also his American accent comes and goes, drives me crazy. But, um, but it was still kind of interesting. And it was like, I, it was one of these things like I lived through it, but I'd forgotten so many of the details of it where I was like, Oh God, that's right. Um, so anyway, I thought it was kind of interesting though. Um, uh, I'll skip the Toy Story 4, saw it in the theater, loved it. I love Toy Story. So cute. And I started watching Gentleman Jack. Yeah. Which I know you loved and I've I'm really liking it so far. I've only watched like, maybe like the first four Saran Jones is so amazing. But that character is like, what a sociopath. Like... She kind of goes a little beyond. Um, so I listened to the audiobook that they did as a, like a companion for it that talks a lot about the real Ann Lister mm-hmm. and like her as a person. She's really kind of an asshole. Yeah, but it's like, I feel like it goes maybe a little bit beyond that. Like she's very, like, at least at this point, it's like, you know, where she's. How far are you into it? Like, mm, like two episodes. Like, like three, four episodes. So like. She sort of started the relationship with Ann Walker. Yeah. But it's... She becomes a lot more sympathetic. Okay, because the way she embarks in the relationship is like, I'm going to make her fall in love with me. And it's, it's like, so... I mean, and the whole way her character is portrayed is, like, weirdly detached and manipulative 
most of the time. That changes, though. And she has, like, these flashes of, like, where she's actually, like, sweet and human. Like, with her aunt. She's always very, like, vulnerable with her aunt. that's how she was in real life. Yeah, it's just interesting. I'm like, ooh, you're, like, kind of prickly. They read a lot of her actual journal, um, bits, like, in the audiobook, and it's Mm -hmm. really, really interesting. I mean, I like historical kind of fiction-y stuff. This is nonfiction, but after watching the show, and I was like, okay, like, how did they decide what parts of her journals to use? And because she, the she, parts where she has sex. Well, not always. <laughs> it's HBO. Um, come on. <laughs> but like her backstory. Yeah. Um, and she, the first episode, she comes on coming off of a bad, the ending of a bad relationship. Right. So I think she's looking at Anne as Anne Walker as like kind of a rebound to help yeah. her get over it. And then it develops into something more. It kind of reminds me of watching, like, the, um, like Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock Holmes. Like, there's a, you know, like, a level of detachment of someone who is so intellectually superior to everyone around them. Like, that they don't really care about them as people. You know, like, that that intellect kind of is a... Like a distancing factor, you know, it kind yeah. of seems to somehow like be an impediment to emotion. Um, anyway, but yeah, great performance. It's really interesting. Totally, totally into it. But, but the I was costuming like, is amazing. Yes, good costumes. <laughs> Super poofy sleeves. Oh my god, the sleeves the poofiest. No regular doors. <laughs> <laughs> it's really amazing. Such poofy sleeves. Uh, all right, what you been watching? I have been watching a lot of HBO shows. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start off with the depress. well, half and half depressing. So, the most depressing thing Chernobyl. I watch. Well, oh yeah, I forgot to put that on here. Because <laughs> isn't that the most depressing? No. No? When oh, they, God. When They See Us, which is the <gasps> oh, Netflix yes. four-part series about the Central Park Five, which if you don't know, in the 80s, I forgot the exact year, um, a white female jogger was sexually assaulted and almost died in Central Park and the people who were put in prison for it were five boys ranging five black boys ranging from the ages of 13 to 16. It was termed wilding. Because they were roaming around in the park nowhere near where the woman was. Um, And they were the oldest kid who was 16 who he only got dragged into it because he went to support his friend who was being questioned and they decided that they were going to also add him to the, and it was the, the female, um, attorney. And I can't remember her name. She's since resigned from Columbia and she was a true crime author and like lauded for her victories in the courtroom. Um, she basically manipulated the timeline, manipulated evidence, forced the thing through, and the boys went to prison. Um, I mean, it was... Okay, I... It's a huge again, thing in the news. I was a teenager in New York in the 80s and when this happened, and it was... I mean, the media decided right away, like, you know, that it was... These boys. It was these boys. Who didn't know each other. Yeah, that it was this horrible gang attack and da da da, and um, there was no forensic and evidence. Everybody yeah. just sort of got on board with like, you know, yeah, I'd say like a bit of hysteria around. So it does say case. like watching this, um, like made my stomach hurt. Yeah. And I am not like unseasoned as far as no. watching terrible things, um, but so it was how really recently were they exonerated? 2002, I want to say. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it was more recent than that. They were in prison for a long time. Well, the 16-year-old was in prison for a long time. He got 11 years. Everyone else was in juvenile hall, and they served from, no, 14 years. They served between 6 and 14 years. Okay. Um, And the only reason they got out was because... The oldest guy, and I'm sorry I forget his name, he is, like, the whole last episode is about him and then a small amount about their exoneration, was because he was in prison with the guy who actually did it and met him, and they became friendly, and the guy found out 
what the kid was in prison for and had a crisis of conscience and pled, like said that he did it yeah, and gave his DNA and stuff. That's right. the only reason he got out of prison. Yeah. Um, and then it turns out it was just like one guy. It's one guy. This whole narrative yeah. of like that, you know, that there was this like pack of kids roaming around, assaulting park. women. Yeah. yeah. Totally false. So I highly recommend it. It's very difficult to watch. Um, like keep a box of tissues next to you. Cause everyone is so amazing in it. Um, and then I already knew about the case because Ken Burns did a documentary for American experience, excuse me, oh. called the central park five that came out in 2012. Um, maybe that's when they were exonerated. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it was, but also the central park five documentary is really good. And that's on a bunch of streaming services. If you want, like, the, not the dramatized version, yeah. um, they are both really good. So the other depressing thing I'm watching is Hand, Handmaid's Tale is back. Oh, I haven't started that yet. I'm I don't like it as right much now. as the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's pretty, like, more heavy-handed. There's, like, this part where they go to Washington, D.C., which is part of Gilead. There's this whole scene in front of the Lincoln Memorial where they've taken, like, basically the top part of Abraham Lincoln and removed it. There's this whole thing, like, the theme for the episode is, like, silencing women. Like, in D.C., all the handmaids have to wear these, like, tall collars that, like, button up over their mouths. Mm. And June has a conversation with Aunt Lydia about, basically about silencing women. And Aunt Lydia's like, no, I don't want to take away your voice. But then she helps her put the collar thing on. And then I just, like... Having it at the Lincoln Memorial, I did not feel was, like, the right thing. Because I think they were trying to, like, say it's, like, enslavement, but it's not. And also Lincoln said that if he could keep some people enslaved and not others, he would do that. So I felt like that was poor choice of a symbol um, for what they were trying to do. I don't know. I'm questioning every, every, like, all of it. It's still good. Like, the quality is still really high. Um, I'm just waiting for June to, like, lose her crap and because it's the final season for right. something to happen. Yeah. Maybe that's also part of my problem. Yeah. I'm like, ah! <laughs> when is something going to happen? I mean, stuff happens. It's just, like, slow. And season two of Big Little Lies. I've been watching that, too. Meryl Streep is a piece of work. Oh, my God. I was just talking to my coworker about her today. I hate she her. She is so horrible. Yeah. And she's wearing these dentures, and it just changes her whole face. And I hate her I hate her. So much. I mean, amazing performance, obviously. I hate her. She is so awful. Yeah. But not, like, in... It's the most, like, contained performance. Yeah. She's like, not coming in there, like, swinging. No, it's not, physically. like, big or showy, but she is just the most... Dre- I mean, of course, she has to be the most dreadful person. She spawned, like, very horrible yeah. person, but, um, well, I mean, not, not like moms are always to blame, but, you know, sometimes maybe She's moms very apolog... <laughs> like, she's an apologist for oh, her son's totally. behavior. Like... Oh uh, yeah, yeah, she's what, gross and nasty. We were talking about so it's an it. excellent season. Yeah, I could because the first season it took me forever to get into the first season. Like when I watched the first episode, I'm like, I don't know who got murdered, but I want them all to die. They all yeah. suck, and you know I feel like they've done a little bit better job, but there's still like the Renata character, the Laura Dern character. She's mm-hmm. so over the top. Yeah, um, it's just like beyond annoying, and I, and I don't know if like. That shows that I care about the show or whether I'm just irritated by some of the performances. I think Zoe Kravitz is really good. I like her. I think also... Her thing with her mom is kind of weird, though. Yeah. Like, are they going to explain that more? And a lot of the actresses need to dial back the Botox because they'll, like, make an expression and their whole face will, like, move except, like, a big circle on their forehead. And it's, like, so distracting. They're so distracting. Um, But, yeah, I'm, like... It's, like, I... Now I'm, like, into it, and I'm watching it, like, what's going to happen? But I, it took me a really long time to get into it where I, like, 
would watch a little and be like, nope, I hate all these people. I don't care. I watched Chernobyl. It's very depressing, Ugh. but it was really good. And I guess Russia is making their own version now because they didn't like how they were portrayed. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. If you're interested in Chernobyl and the events, like how it happened and why the government responded like they did, like mm. it's stellar, but it's very graphic as far as medical things go. So, um, and obviously very depressing. Um, but I saw that influencers are, like, going there to take their picture, and I'm like, okay, Darwin Award, I guess, like, Have don't you go hang out there. The, um, this probably was, like, a decade ago. Someone posted, um, a series of photos of Chernobyl, like, now, where, you know, it's been completely uninhabited since, what, what year was the disaster in, mm-hmm. in 86, I, yeah. I think? Um... So completely uninhabited for, you know, I, I don't know when these photos were taken, 20, 30 years. Um, so it's all these photos of like this city now that's completely overgrown and all mm-hmm. this wild, it's all this wildlife photography mm-hmm. in Chernobyl. So it's yeah. like a wolf standing in the middle of the street in Chernobyl. And um, it was, they're really haunting pictures. It There's a really, really good episode of nature called Radioactive Wolves, which is all about the wolves that live in Chernobyl. Oh, right. Yeah. I've seen it's that. It's super good. Also, like, if you're into that kind yeah. of thing. Um, yeah. So that and Euphoria, which is also um, a new uh, HBO show Zendaya. with Zendaya as Rue. She's a uh, drug addict. She, in the first episode... She has OD'd at the beginning of a summer. Her younger sister found her. She went to rehab. She came back. Um, it is a teen drama, but it's like the darkest, darkest teen drama imaginable. There's like sexual violence. There's drug abuse. There's like addiction. There's regular violence. Um, but it's amazing. <laughs> and I guess it's based on a book. Um but, like, everyone in it is really good. It deals with um, issues having to do with tra- transgender people because there's a trans woman in it who's a teen and not just having to do with her navigating as a trans person but other issues. Right. Which is great because, like, like trans people navigating the world have more, like, more things. Like, how to date, how to meet people... Um, how to deal with jerks, like all that stuff, which is like way more difficult than, you know, most people. So, and I love everyone in it. They're all amazing, but, uh, yeah, it's, (laughs) it's super dark. Mm. So the last thing I'm watching, which is excellent and funny is it Losa Spookies? Oh, yeah, I saw the yeah. watching that. So what, it's so funny. What is the idea with that? So it's um, like a half-hour show that I'm watching on HBO. Um, it's about a group of friends who like spooky stuff, and so they, like, get together, and they do, like, a spooky quinceanera, and it, people hire them to, like, do spooky things. Like, perform tricks. Like, it's, like, some horror movie things where the insurance thing or the money thing, someone dies and the person who stays in the house overnight gets all the money, like that kind of thing. And each episode is like a thing. Um, and it has Fred Armisen in it and he's amazing. So it's just like the, these four or five, like kind of kooky, spooky kids, like young adults who get together and they're trying to run, start this business up where they frighten people for money. Like they're hired to do that. And it's, a horror comedy. Nothing is really scary. It's like kind of dry humor. It switches between Spanish and English and it makes me really happy. And if you like horror and horror comedy stuff, it's like kind of in the same vein as like what we do in the shadows Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Love it. Tati, if you watch it, Tati is my favorite. She's hilarious (laughs) and she's super clueless. All right. Yeah. And they make fun of multi-level marketing. There's a whole thing <laughs> called Herbalite instead of Herbalife. Oh, yeah. Um, and she, like, borrows $200,000 <laughs> that she has to pay back by the end of the month. And that was at the end of the last episode. And oh, she's like, no. you can lose weight, keep, gain weight, maintain weight, 
Herbalite. <laughs> I was like, oh no, Tati. No, don't do What's that. What's going to happen? Don't do that. That's no good. Yeah. So it's great. Recommend. Cool. That's it. All right. I totally thought this would be shorter because we were recording closer together, but no, we still managed to talk forever. But you can find show notes at doubleknit.net mm-hmm. and join us on our Ravelry group at doubleknit.net. Where we don't Double talk about anything at all. Podcast fans. Yeah, the group's a little a little quiet. Until next time. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Yes, you Tell you